Welcome to the Timberlake Christian School podcast. Timberlake Christian School, founded in 1966, is a ministry of Timberlake Baptist Church. Our vision is to be a discipleship and educational institution for young people in order to develop them in a passion for glorifying God and train them for a life consistent with a biblical world and life view. For more information, check out our website at timberlakechristianschool.org. Go Tornadoes! Hello and welcome to the Timberlake Christian School podcast. My name is Jacob Hunter and I am so glad that you are joining us for the second episode of our Summer Family Podcast series. Last time, we had the amazing privilege of speaking with William Tyndale. Ah, fine man, if I do say so myself. <laughs> yes, I agree. Mr. Tyndale taught us about the first of those five solas of the Reformation, sola scriptura, or scripture alone. We learned that as followers of Jesus, we should base what we believe and how we live on the authority of the Bible alone. Yes, yes, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest for today's podcast. Dr. Martin Luther. Dr. Luther, I cannot believe that you agreed to be on the podcast today. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thank you for this tremendous opportunity. I'm glad to be able to join you all and to speak to the Timberlake Christian School community. Dr. Luther, if I were to ask the average Christian today what he or she knows about the Reformation, your name would probably be one of the first things said. I mean, Martin Luther is almost synonymous with Protestant Reformation in our day. And specifically, a lot of people think about an event that happened on October 31st, 1517. Can you tell me what you did on that day? Uh, yes. <laughs> what an interesting place to start. That's the day when I posted my 95 thesis on the door of the church at Wittenberg. Yes. Wow, what a legendary tale. The renegade monk, the hammer nailing the document to the door, the aftermath. And to note, that's why we celebrate Reformation Day on October 31st, to commemorate your actions on that day. But we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's take a step back. Sir, would you mind giving a brief overview of your story and the events leading up to that fateful day? Oh, sure thing. I was born in Germany in the late 15th century. I was educated to pursue a career as a lawyer. All that changed, however, when I was 21 years old. I, while being caught in a horrible thunderstorm. I made a vow to become a monk if I survived. Not to interrupt, but just to make sure we're all on the same page. Would you mind explaining what a monk is? Oh, no problem. Essentially, as a result of my vow, I devoted my life entirely to God by forsaking my promising career as a lawyer and joining a monastery, a community of fellow monks. I gave up my worldly pleasures and dedicated myself entirely towards trying to please God at all times. But in that pursuit is where I discovered my problem. No matter how hard I tried, I could not please God. I wearied myself greatly for almost 15 years with that daily sacrifice, with torturing myself, fastings, vigils, prayers, and other very rigorous works. But it never was enough. My attempts to please God my, through my good works led only to despair, and I ended up hating the righteous God who punished sinners. You know, Dr. Luther, I think many of us have felt that way before. When you really begin to understand how holy God is and how sinful we truly are, it's very easy to fall into utter misery. Yes, I 
must admit that you're right. I continued in that misery for years, even as I was ordained as a priest, bestowed with a doctorate in theology, and appointed to a teaching position at the University of Wittenberg. I could not understand how sinful people could be made right with such a holy, just, and perfect God. Wow, that sounds grueling. And if I'm not mistaken, you also began to notice some disturbing elements in the Catholic Church during that time. Is that right? Too true. I was sent to Rome, the central city of the Catholic Church, and there I experienced firsthand the wide-scale corruption that had overtaken the Church. Specifically, I was horrified at the practice of selling indulgences to raise money for the Church's building projects. It was disgusting. Ah, yeah, indulgences. Catholic authorities would sell letters that allegedly freed dead loved ones from purgatory. Basically, the church was selling the forgiveness of sins for family members who had passed away in order to fund their extravagant building endeavors. Yes, an unbiblical and heretical sham. I was outraged. And so, getting back to your earlier question, I wrote my 95 thesis, a document in which I challenged the sale of indulgences the power of the Pope, and the idea that the Church alone held the keys to salvation in place of the Bible, the Word of God. I posted my 95 thesis to the door of the Church at Wittenberg in order to try and start an open debate over what was going on in the Church. I think you got a little more debate than you wanted, though. I I guess you could say that. With the new medium of the printing press, it seemed I suddenly became the most famous man in Europe, uh, even though... I never intended for these things to be printed. That's incredible. Before we look at what happened after you published the 95 Theses, though, I want to go back to your dilemma over how a just God could forgive sinners. If I'm not mistaken, God used one particular verse to open your eyes to the glorious answer to your question. Is that right? Yes. Oh, yes, what a beautiful verse. Romans 1.17, which states, For in it, that is, in the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written. The righteousness shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul is quoting the prophet Habakkuk here. At first, I could not understand what Paul meant by the word righteous in this verse. I thought that perhaps Paul was referring to God's just wrath against sin. But at last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely, by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely, the passive righteousness with which merciful God justifies us by faith. Here I felt as altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. What an amazing doctrine. The only way that sinners like you and me can be made right with God or justified is through faith in Jesus. It is only by His finished work on the cross that our sin can ever be atoned for. Our only hope is simply to trust in Christ, to cling to Him as all we need. Praise the Lord! When I understood that truth, that the only way anyone could be justified before God is through faith in Jesus alone... The whole Bible was opened anew to me. I realized that contrary to the teachings of the Catholic Church, I could never earn my salvation. 
I could only be saved from the wrath my sin deserves by the work of Jesus alone. Salvation truly is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so back to where we were in your story. You saw corruptions in the Catholic Church, you published your 95 Theses, and you begin to teach that justification is by faith alone, contrary to the accepted teaching of the Church. There's so much more of your life that could be said, but to move forward, you ended up getting into some trouble, didn't you? <laughs> That's a mild way to put it. After several years, I was ordered to defend my beliefs before the Catholic Church cardinals, the Holy Roman Emperor, and the other important men at the Diet of Worms. Would you mind if I read some of what I said there? Certainly. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Standing before many important men who were commanding me to recant of the biblical truths I had taught, I said, I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council, because it is clear as noon day that they have fallen into error and even glaring inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convicted by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's word, I neither can nor will retract anything, for it cannot be either safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. I am bound by the scriptures. I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Whoa, you were so bold. What happened? Well, ultimately, my powerful friends in the Elector of Saxony and other princes protected me from almost certain death after the Pope declared me a heretic. I went on to have a long ministry, and I got married. I fell in love with an ex-nun, Catherine von Bora, and we had seven children. That's amazing, and, and kind of just a random side note here, but I think maybe something a lot of people don't know about you. You're quite the family man, huh? Ah, yes, absolutely. My wife and children are my pride and joy. My greatest ministry is that of a husband and a father. Well, Dr. Luther, it is remarkable to hear how the Lord used you so mightily to help reform his church back to the teaching of his word. Thank you for being so courageous, and thank you for being so willing to stand firm in the truth of the gospel, even when it seemed that the whole world was against you. To God alone be the glory. I am simply thankful that God in his kindness sent his son to die for me. How could I not do all that I could to spread that good news with others? Last time in our interview with William Tyndale, we learned about the first of the five solas, those five great truths that encapsulate the teaching of the Reformation. Dr. Luther, your life quite clearly points us to the second sola, sola fide, or faith alone, that glorious biblical reality that justification is by faith alone, caught on like a wildfire in the church. By God's grace, the church was reawakened through your ministry to the magnificent good news of God's free offer of salvation in His Son, Jesus, to everyone who believes. I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince nor emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. And that, my friends, is the end of episode two of our summer family podcast series. 
Thank you for your time, Dr. Luther, and thank you again to all of you who are listening at home. Before we close, I want to take a moment for our Scripture Memory Challenge. This week, I want to challenge you and your family to work together to memorize Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Parents, I would encourage you to work with your students on memorizing this verse this week. And be sure to spend time in the Word together. You might even spend some time reading the entirety of Paul's letter to the Ephesians so you can see the context of the verse. Well, that's all for our podcast today. Be sure to tune in next week as we interview another English reformer, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Thomas Cranmer. Until then, Semper Reformanda.